Hi, this is Pastor Andrew here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out online at www.orbcnet.com. Or better yet, come by and visit us at the corner of Wurzbach and Vance Jackson in Northwest San Antonio. Please stand as we read uh, Hebrews chapter 7, uh, 1 through, eight, one through uh, 28. Okay. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Through these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives the tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the name rather than one named the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, it is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and is in connection with the tribe of Moses, said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. 
but he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, it is he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is a perfect high priest, and we need a high priest like him who makes intercession for us, for it's by him that we can have the victory. We can have joy, Father. We can be successful, not by our own weakness, Lord, but by Jesus, who has overcome the enemy. So we thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so see, it is time for kids' class right now. Kids, go to your class, please. Y'all pray with me, please. Dear Lord, could I ask you to be with me this morning as I pastor this church, as I teach your scripture to your people? God, I pray that you would be with us supernaturally, that you would illuminate your scripture, that we would be able to draw from these words the comfort and the hope that you have for us. God, I ask these things in your holy name. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So, I used to work with a lady who had an expression and she said, don't mix up more malt than you can drink. And by that, she meant if you put too much malt powder in your malted milkshake, it would be grainy and it wouldn't work. And the, the idea was don't be too aggressive or to do more than you can. And that came to my mind about two minutes ago as Tony is reading through the scripture and my wife leans over to me and goes, you're going to explain all this, right? <laughs> Hopefully I can. Because it's a lot, right? There's a lot there. As, as Tony was reading through that, I go, man, that's a lot. And I've been working on this all week, okay? So I want you to know that all scripture is God-breathed and sufficient for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And in the midst of all of those things that we were reading through, there is a tremendous amount of hope 
and grace and peace. And, and it's my prayer that you all can feel the same hope and grace and peace that I have after studying this all week. Now, why on earth are we in Hebrews when we've been in John for the last 10 years? It hasn't been 10 years, but it feels like 10 years, right? We, and I know you guys got to be like, we just have gotten done doing a lot of really hard, weird, obscure things that Jesus said. So like you ran out of hard, weird, obscure things. So now you're going to go look for more hard, weird, obscure things in Hebrews to go. Is that, is that what the plan is, Andrew? And the answer is yes. Because the hard, obscure, confusing things that we read just now set up what we're going to be studying for the next several weeks. See, we've gone through the Gospel of John, and last week we finished Jesus' last major period of, of public testimony, right? He had had his disciples together, and, and they were walking from the, the Last Supper down to the, the Garden of Gethsemane where he, he's getting ready to be betrayed, and as he walked, he, he taught them, and he gave them hope, and he tried to prepare them for what was going to come next. And in the next chapter that we're about to kind of dig into and tear apart, Jesus is going to be at prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is going to be praying one of the greatest prayers that we have in all of Scripture. What, what people, since... Time immemorial have described as his high priestly prayer. See, there's a tremendous amount of what we believe that we find in what we pray. I'm always astounded when I listen to people pray because it describes what is the deepest desires of their heart. What we publicly declare to God teaches us more than anything else, what we truly believe and what we truly want. And so by examining Jesus' prayer, we're going to understand more about who Christ is. But before we can do that, we need to understand what it means for Christ to be our high priest. What it means for Christ to stand in the presence of God. And to do that, the, the best place for us to go is the book of Hebrews. See, the book of Hebrews is one of uh, the most enigmatic and, and interesting books in the New Testament. We're not sure exactly who wrote it. Some people think it was P, uh, Paul, but it could have just as easily have been Barnabas or Apollos. We're not exactly sure. What we do know is that this was a book written by a highly educated Jew to another group of highly educated Jews in an urban area. We think traditionally that this was Alexandria, kind of the New York City of the ancient Mediterranean, this huge, massive, ancient trade city on the coast of Egypt. The church that the author is speaking to seems to be an equally interesting place. It was an eclectic band of misfits drawn from across the spectrum of the Jewish diaspora. We've got some folks there that were probably just regular tradesmen that had been settled in Alexandria for a long time. We have people that were crazy Essenes from out in the desert, people that were waiting for God to come back with angels to destroy all things. I'm going to tie my shoe before I fall on my face here. That would have been great, huh? But almost... More interesting than these other two groups, there was probably a large group of priests 
that had somehow, in some way, through some twist of the Holy Spirit, come to Christ and become part of this church. And, and as, you might th- as you might kind of expect, that sets up all kinds of tension within the church. As everybody comes to Christianity bringing all of the baggage from what they had before. And so the author writes this letter to the Hebrews to describe to them what their life in Christ should look like. This is why we're looking at this text this morning because Hebrews is an explanation of the Old Testament law and how Jesus completes it. And this morning, he's talking about how Jesus replaces the high priest. Part of the author's argument here revolves around the the role that Jesus plays in in completing the Old Testament sacrificial system. He says, we just a little bit before, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, as if Hebrews couldn't get more complicated, we're going to bring in yet another layer of complexity here because the author of Hebrews is going back to an ancient, ancient story from the history of Israel. Far back in the book of Genesis, we have two brothers, Abraham and Lot. Two relatives, actually, Abraham and Lot. And and they go from... Babylon, or the Fertile Crescent, they come into the Promised Land, and they separate. Abraham goes into one area, Lot goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sets up his his flocks and his herds, and he becomes very successful, except there's a group of kings that comes in and, and conquers those cities and carries everybody off in captivity. Abraham hears about this, and he gathers all of his guys together, and they travel through the night, and they find where these kings have camped, and he executes an excellent organized night attack, good infantryman that he is, probably was in the Marine Corps, you know, that's what we do well, goes in there and kills everybody, sacks the entire camp, frees all the prisoners, Right, we just had a hostage rescue situation up in Dallas. He's the hostage rescue team of the ancient Near East. They go in, they pull out all the hostages, kill all the bad guys, gather up all the loot. And as they're on their way back with Lot and all of these possessions that now Abraham has, Abraham encounters kind of this strange figure that's dropped right into the middle of the biblical story. We're told that he runs across a man named Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Well, who's that? I don't know. Nobody knows. Don't feel bad if you're confused because nobody knows who this is. He's never mentioned before. He's never mentioned afterwards. The important thing is that Abraham meets this guy and says, Hey, Melchizedek, king of Salem, here's a tenth of all my stuff. He tithes to Melchizedek. So we don't know much about him, but we know that he's important enough that Abraham gave a tenth of everything that he had, and then Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and Abraham goes on his way. 
Now, why on earth is that important? Well, it's important because over time, as the Jews consolidated, became a nation, developed a king, rebelled against God, and were crushed and sent into exile, they began to have these whispered hopes of a new priesthood. In Psalm 110, this is the psalm that Jesus quotes over and over and over again to point to the Messiah. One of the lines in Psalm 110 says, I have sworn to you, and I will not change my mind, he will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so what we see here is that God is predicting to his people that someday a priest would come who would be like Melchizedek. And the author of Hebrews begins to pull on this thread begins to try to explain to them how Jesus is this priest who was going to be in the order of Melchizedek. And so he begins to describe some important things about him. Now, what we need to understand here, it's hard for us to really wrap our minds around the importance of a priest because we live in a time that doesn't really have priests. We live in a time of radical individualism where everybody can pretty much do or be whatever they want to do or be. You want to create your own religion? You're free to create your own religion. You want to go marry somebody? You can go online and get, you can get ordained as a priest of the Church of the Jedi. That's a thing, by the way. <laughs> I know people that have done that. The International Church of Hope, the International Church of Humanity, whatever you want to do to get a tax-exempt status, you go out there and do it. There are people that literally worship the flying, and I'm not kidding, the flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> now, is it a scam? Yeah, it is. But can you do it? Absolutely. And so we are not used to institutionalized, centralized religion. But for a Jew, this was critically important. See, the law that God had given to his people set out a very clear way for them to have a relationship with him. From the time that they sat in the desert beneath Mount Sinai, their relationship with their God had been mediated in a very, very specific way. So specific and so strict that if you deviated from it, you died. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we have references to people that step outside of this law and they drop dead. Almost as soon as they get this law, the sons of the priest, Nadab and Abihu, get all tanked up, go into the Holy of Holies to bring something called strange fire. We're not sure what that is, but you can imagine what drunk teenagers do if they go into the Holy of Holies with fire. And what happens? They die. The, one of the great kings in Jewish history, a guy named Uzziah, decides that he wants to go into the holy place. He wants to take the place of the priests, and he gets leprosy. And slowly rots to death over eight years. So they're serious about this. The Jewish people understand that there is a law 
and that that law determines how people should interact with God and that that law has to be mediated through priests. But not anybody can just be a priest. See, priests have to come from a particular family. They have to come from the family of Aaron. And if they don't come from the family of Aaron, they can't be a priest. So this is the context that these people in the book of, that are reading the book of Hebrews understand. Many of the people that are reading the book of Hebrews are themselves priests who have been raised their entire life with the understanding that their sole role in life is to mediate for God and his people. And so now, Christianity comes into the mix and upends the whole thing. And the author of Hebrews is describing how this change has occurred. He begins to describe how Jesus is a priest in this order of Melchizedek and how that priesthood is superior to the other priesthood. He begins to describe some things about Jesus as the high priest that make him far more attractive than the old priests that they had. The first part is that he's divine. Being a priest is cool, but being a priest who is God is better. He has the ability to do things that we never could. But see, he's not just divine, he's also fully human. And so the author of Hebrews and some other places describes what this means. It says that he became human so that he could serve as our great high priest. And that means that he understands who we are. He tells us that Jesus suffered in all ways the way that we suffered. Even my gallbladder. Even lust, even anger. These things, these temptations that we have, he has felt. And they've tortured him. And they've, he's struggled through them. He understands who we are. He understands the weak flesh that we come from. He can give us comfort. But not just comfort, he can stand in the presence of Almighty God and be like, hey, give him a shot. I understand how hard it is. He can speak on our behalf as somebody who knows us. See, Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one who mediates with God on our behalf. And guys, we need a mediator. Brothers and sisters, we need a mediator because God does not tolerate sin. Sometimes I think as we've moved into Christianity, as we've kind of moved into this new phase in Christianity... We get this idea that God doesn't punish us for our sins because he doesn't care about sin. That he's just kind of like, ah, I used to be really torn up about that, but I don't really care anymore. I'm good. Like, he's, like, Jesus, like God is some old hippie, right? That used to be really intense, but he's, he's not that intense anymore. Like he's, did anybody see the new Star Wars films? They were terrible, by the way. And they made Luke Skywalker out to be kind of like, he's like, oh, whatever, I don't really care anymore. That's how we kind of view God. But God cares just as much about sin as he did when he wrote the Old Testament law. What has changed is our mediator. What has changed is the effectiveness of the sacrifice that we've received. That's what Hebrews is talking about here. This is why Jesus is so important as our high priest. 
See, this sounds great, but to the Hebrews, this all sounds like heresy. And so Jesus has to explain, or the author of Hebrews has to explain to them why Melchizedek, why the order of Melchizedek is better than the order of all the priests. And he goes into this really, really complex discussion of some really arcane stuff that we're not going to talk about today. That's how I'm going to explain it. We're going to just hit some high points, okay? Melchizedek, right? Uh, his name means king of righteousness. He's also described as the king of Salem, which means the king of peace, right? So he's, uh, he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He has no father or mother. He is without beginning or end. Who does that sound like? Sounds like God. That, that's intentional, right? So one of two things is going on here. Either Melchizedek is Jesus pre-incarnate. Whoa, we're getting trippy here. Yeah, I know. But we know from other places in Scripture that people in the Old Testament have had encounters with Christ. Isaiah for one. So this could just be Christ making a cameo in the Old Testament. We call those a Christophany. You don't have to remember that. It's not on the test at the end. There isn't a test at the end, by the way. It could just be a symbol that we have in there. Somebody who points to who Christ is going to be. Either way, from the very beginning of the Jewish law, they have a picture of Jesus painted into everything that they're doing. This man was greater than Abraham because he receives tithe from Abraham. He was in a position to bless Abraham. His superiority over Abraham makes him superior to everybody who was a descendant of Abraham. That sounds weird to us, but to a first century Jew, it makes tremendous sense. Because everything in their life is driven by lineage and genealogy. Whether or not you could be a priest... Or the king had everything to do with who your father's 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 father was. And so Jesus, because he is of this same order, is better than all of these other priests. But not just that. See, every priest brings with him a covenant between God and man that they mediate. The Old Testament covenant was the covenant of the law. Do the things that God says and you don't die. Don't do the things that God says and you will die. It's real simple. And the person that mediates that covenant is the priest. He's the one where if you do something you're not supposed to do, you bring a bull in, they cut the bull's throat, they barbecue it, everybody gets to eat the bull and you don't have any sins anymore. Now that sounds like a great covenant because it involves barbecue. But it's really, really a pain. If you go through and read the Old Testament law, you will be struck at how hard it is to maintain righteousness. Anytime you do anything, you become unrighteous. And then you have to go through this process of washing yourself so you can become clean, so that you can go to church, so that you can do business in the, in the community. And it was difficult for a reason. God wanted to drill into his people's head. You are not okay. 
It's like the opposite of that, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay bumper sticker. It's like nobody's okay. So I, I, I was rem- there's a t-shirt that came out at Christmas time that I think is awesome. And it's a, it's a picture of Martin Luther with his finger pointing and it says, you're all on the naughty list. <laughs> For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what's trying to be God across to us. Everybody's messed up. We mess up all the time, and without an intercessor, we're all going to burn. That's the point. And it's over and over and over again so that they'll get this into their heads. But now that a new priest has come, this covenant has changed. It's now no longer a covenant that requires the sacrificing of bulls and goats because there was one sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's perfectly God. And he goes to his death willingly. And so all of those sacrifices that happened before in the Old Testament, all of those things point to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice who will be administered by the perfect priest for the sins of all mankind. That's the point of this passage in Hebrews. The Old Covenant was mediated by flawed and sinful mortal men doomed to die. And the New Covenant is mediated by an immortal man who stands eternally at the right hand of God. The Old Covenant was mediated by priests who sinned and needed to offer sacrifices for themselves. The New Covenant is mediated by a perfect high priest. See, the law is passing away because it was always meant to be temporary. It was never meant to be the permanent way for people to come into relationship with God. In fact, the law never made people right with God. It always pointed to the one who would make things right with God. And now that he's come, the old law has passed away. No old law. No need for old priests. See, there's something else that's going on in the background here. As this book is being written, the Romans have encamped around Jerusalem. They've built a ramp up to the walls. They've destroyed them, dragged all the people out, burned the temple to the ground, and carted all of the treasures of the temple off to Rome. This was the great existential nightmare of the Jewish people and and this Jewish community in Alexandria is watching this happen and thinking to themselves, how are we ever going to have a relationship with God now? But the author of Hebrews holds out the hope to them that they don't need the temple because they have a perfect temple. They don't need priests anymore because they have a perfect priest. They don't need the Old Testament law because they have a new and perfect law. The Old Testament priesthood is over and better, a new and better priest has taken over. Now now understand this, see the old law hasn't been destroyed, it's been fulfilled. It isn't gone, but its purpose has been met. So some part of the law, like the sacrifices and the cleansing, is gone. Some parts of the law, like the moral codes, stay in place. As Christians, we need to be careful about how we interact with this completed law. See, law can be terrifying when you're on the wrong side of it. 
But when you're the one in control of it, 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 can, it can give you a little bit of power, right? It can be attractive to know where the boundaries are. We need to be careful that we don't invent new laws or use our own laws to try to control the people around us. And, and there were probably some people in the church in Alexandria that were trying to do that as well. See, when you know what the laws are and you control how they're interpreted, it gives you a lot of influence on the people around you. So what does all this arcane and technical discussion of ancient Hebrew religious law matter to us? It matters because it points to an important reality. See, the author of Hebrews points to Christ's identity as the source of the people's hope. As everything around them falls apart, as everything that they put their trust in is dissolved, they still have a hope. And that hope is their high priest, who is Christ. All the way back in, in, in just the, the chapter before, he says, this, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Listen to that language. A sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. I don't know about you, but the one thing that I need now more than anything else is an anchor for my soul. As everything dissolves around us, as everything seems to be broken and cast aside, oh, that I had an anchor for my soul. As everything that we put our trust in dissolves, it is good to have an anchor for our weary souls. See, the author of Hebrews knows that his readers are dealing with a world that they see coming apart. And he wants them to see that there is something deeper, something sturdier, something more permanent that their lives are tied to. Not buildings, not movements, but a man. A man who stands in the presence of God and who serves as their great high priest. The Hebrews needed hope in the midst of a chaotic world, and Hebrews holds out that hope. Since Christianity, Christ's divinity, provides the hope of a sacrifice greater than anything that we could ever have offered. It's okay that the temple is gone because they don't need to sacrifice anything anymore. Christ's humanity provides hope that there is someone who understands us in the presence of God. And his locality gives us hope because we know that somebody has entered into his presence and so that we can as well. Brothers and sisters, Christ is the great high priest and mediator of a new covenant that brings salvation and peace to all who trust in him. Now, now hear me, we, we're not first century Jewish priests. No one here is a first century Jewish priest, but each of us has placed our hope and our faith in earthly things. We, we've hoped in wealth or politicians. We've sought to ignore God or to approach him on our own terms. Each of us has sought to be our own mediator with God. 
Every one of these things fails, though. And so at some point in your life, maybe even today, you will feel adrift. You will feel that everything that you placed your faith in has passed away. I know this because I have spent my life placing my things, my faith in things other than God. I'm an old hand at this. I've been doing this for 40 years, 42 years. I've placed my faith in, in education. I've placed my faith in a strong and solid job. I've placed my faith in the U.S. government. I've placed my faith in academia. And every time I place my faith in something, it crumbles and wastes away. We have a joke in our family that teams should pay us not to root for them. Because regardless of what team it is, if we start rooting for them, they're going to fall apart. That's science. You don't want me to root for the Cowboys, y'all should probably have a conversation with me afterwards. Just saying. Everything that I have ever put my faith in has fallen apart, has let me down. And brothers and sisters, if, if you're honest with yourself, you will know that everything that is not God that you have put your faith in has let you down. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you had a great job. You know, not just, not just a job. I used to work with a guy who said, I don't want a job. I want a position. <laughs> you had a position with a company that took care of you, looked out for you, that you sacrificed your family and your spiritual life for. It's going to let you down. Layoffs will come. And if they don't lay you off, they'll force you to retire. When I was in the Marine Corps, we had an expression that said, everybody's been passed over promotion at least once, unless he's the commandant, and even him. <clears throat> Everything in this life will let you down, with the exception of Christ. When we place our trust in things that are not eternal, and those things break apart, we are left alone and hopeless and adrift in a sea of darkness. But it doesn't have to be this way. See, Jesus is our great high priest, our only hope and our anchor. He is what holds our wayward souls when everything falls apart. He is our great mediator. He understands our sins. I know maybe you're here today and you think to yourself, you don't know me, pastor, and you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. Probably. But if you and I sat down and had coffee, I probably can trump most of what you've done. I'm just going to throw that out there. I have done things in my life that you cannot imagine. I have hurt people and betrayed people. I have done things that still haunt me. And I will tell you this. I have a mediator that stands before the face of God. The only hope that I have in life is that Jesus Christ stands next to God and says, it's okay. He's one of mine. 
When I go into my great good night and I stand before God, the only thing that I have is the word of Christ on my behalf. And the, and, and the amazing thing is that's all I need. Now I want to ask you today, do you have that? Are you sure that today, if you drive out of this parking lot and you get T-boned by a tractor trailer and you go stand before God, what are you going to put your faith in? Are you going to point to your job? Are you going to point to the last guy you voted for? Are you going to point to your charitable contributions or who your family was? Or are you going to point to your relationship with the great high priest? See, Jesus is our great mediator with God. He's also our great sacrifice for our sins. His sacrifice is sufficient to cover anything that we've done. Now, some of you don't know that. Some of you have come into this place as enemies of God today. Alienated from the loving face of your God. Some of you should know this. You've been Christians for a long time. And yet you live in defeat and brokenness and hopelessness. Like your Savior doesn't exist. Well, guys, I want you to know this. You have an anchor. You better grab a hold of that chain and hold on. He will carry you through all that this life can throw at you and more. Guys, Jesus is our great high priest, and he is the anchor for our soul. And he is the only thing that we should cling to as everything around us falls apart. In a moment, we're going to have a time of dedication and invitation. This is the time in our service that we offer for people to respond to what they have heard. Now, there's all kinds of different ways you can respond. For some of you, response looks like accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, making a decision today that you're going to accept him and have a relationship with him. Some, for some of you, that's going to look like Joining a church, joining with a group of people so that you can live out your faith. For some of you, it's just going to be to come down here and get prayed for. You know Jesus, but you feel lost right now. I want to invite anyone who wants to come forward here for prayer of healing. Maybe your, your marriage is on the rocks, or maybe your marriage is doing great, and you just want to be prayed for. Come forward here. We have deacons that will pray for you. We're just going to take a moment right now in silence. As I pray, I want you to ask God, what are you showing me today? What do you want me to hear? Thanks for listening to this sermon, part of the teaching ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Oak Ridge, you can go to www.orbcnet.com.